I, I would like to say um, I can't imagine being more welcome than I've been welcomed. Thank you. Uh, I knew that this was a loving congregation and that concept didn't disappear as I've come in. You've included me already. Uh, you've been responsive as I've reached out to you, so thank you. It's uh, great to step in and be cared for uh, at the very beginning. Uh, so I greatly appreciate what a loving congregation this is, uh, the relationship that the leaders have with one another as well. Uh, also, uh, in terms of kind of context for this season that we're in as a church, I'm not sure if you practice the seasons. Obviously, you practice Advent because that's the beginning of the church year. Uh, but after Christmas season, which is the 12 days of Christmas, just like the song, uh, the church historically has celebrated Epiphany. And Epiphany is saying, hey, Christ has come. And so now let's consider from the Gospels uh, the beautiful, crazy truth about Jesus in light of his incarnation. What does he mean uh, before we move towards Lent, which is a season of looking inward? So in this series, we're going to step into the Gospel of Luke. And guess what? We won't go to a different scripture passage every week. We're actually going to make progress uh, through the scripture together as we spend time during Epiphany in Luke 7 and Luke 8. Uh, but as we step in, uh, we're kind of in the middle, early section of Luke's account of Jesus' life. Uh, Luke's purpose is at the very beginning is to write an orderly account uh, that he's well-researched with his doctoral kind of mind into the reports about Jesus that were verified by eyewitnesses. So he's really including in this letter people that are not so sure about Jesus, as well as those who are relatively new to the faith that want to be founded upon Jesus, as he writes about 30 years after the events that he chronicles happens. Uh, Luke has the fullest account of uh, the birth of Jesus and all that led up to it in really profound ways. Then by chapter 3, Jesus is introduced uh, as he's prepared by God to be a uh, sent out into this area around where he grew up, the area of Galilee. And so we find him in these earlier stages, and he's just concluded in Luke's gospel, the Sermon on the Mount, which if you'll remember is a lot longer in Matthew's gospel, but a shorter account, and now he's still in that area of Galilee, kind of in the general region that where he grew up. And we see in this scene opening up in Capernaum. So that's where we're stepping in. Let me pray as we enter into God's word together. Oh, Jesus, as we step into this season of epiphany after celebrating Christ's incarnation, uh, may the beauty and wonder of Jesus dawn afresh in us as we begin this new year. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if I were to sit down and ask you a question uh, that I often ask with a lot of people, it goes something like this, how are you in Jesus? Or how's your relationship with Jesus? Uh, because I've mainly, for the past few years, been asking that to students. This is the normal response that I get. Well, I um, try to pray before I go to bed, but I'm not really getting in the word very much. Or I hear, and sometimes I hear both, uh, I go to church as often as I can. Uh, which is a classic case of making our relationship with God about things that we do. It's a classic case of missing the point. Like for the wives that are here, if I were to ask your husband, how's, how's your relationship with your wife? If his response was, I really wish I made more money, 
or I go on a date every time I can, you might feel a little bit more like a commodity than someone who is cherished. Uh, but there's some of you are thinking, no, I do wish he would make a little bit more money. <laughs> and I wish we'd go on a date at least monthly or weekly or whatever. Uh, but we tend to make our relationships about the means of our relationship that are aimed at growing the richness of our relationship. But the heart of the matter really is when we in relationship are enjoyed, admired, adored, and feel deeply loved by the one that we're in relationship, so much so that we respond in that kind of love to the one to whom we're married, if you're married. So what we want to explore from Luke's gospel is the crazy, beautiful truth about Jesus of how he moves towards us, how it's not so much about the means of our relationship with God, but much more about being and experiencing the love of Jesus Christ. So we'll look at from this passage, who is Jesus for? How do we experience him? And then third, what is Jesus' response? Who is Jesus for? How do we experience him? And then what is Jesus' response? Uh, here's the question from the verse, verse 5 and part of verse 6 kind of answer. Who is Jesus for? He's over very unlikely image bearers, people who are train wrecks just like us. You see, as he moves in Capernaum, he's been doing great works and teaching great things about his kingdom. And there's one that's kind of outside the kingdom, people of God, who responds uh, to the works about Jesus, and it's the centurion. A centurion was a Roman guard as Israel lived under Roman uh, rule and oppression at times, uh, who typically had authority over how many? What's a century? 100 men. Uh, but he also had civic responsibilities with the people. And it's really rare that Jewish people would be warmed in their hearts towards someone outside their circle. But something unique has happened in their relationship with him who is a religious outsider. Uh, they begin to connect in the arena of, a, of the image of God with one another. And so these Jewish people who are normally really narrow and quick to invalidate anyone outside their circle refers to this man. Look at verse uh, 4, where they appeal to Jesus and they came to Jesus and pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you come do this for him. Whoa. You, you see what the Jews in that day, as well as religious insiders within Christianity do today, is we tend to draw a tighter and tighter circle around holiness, and we add on cultural things that are not a part of the gospel that we begin to use to define whether someone is in or without. Uh, but because of the image of God moving towards these people, uh, this man has become friendly towards the Jewish faith. Uh, he's drawn in. Perhaps he's like uh, a God-fearer, which would be a non-Jew uh, who was drawn to Jewish faith according to God's design in the Old Tes Testament. And so he stepped in. He's actually built a synagogue in which they can worship. 
Perhaps he's even attended, and his heart is soft towards the God of Israel. Their hearts soften towards him as well, and they're meeting in the middle. This is a beautiful moment that many in the Jewish nation would not stay in, but pictures for us how people who are unlikely image bearers uh, get to intersect with those of us who are among the people of God who are also made in his image as well. Uh, I have found through my friendships, largely in Birmingham, uh, that people who believe very differently from me, uh, when we don't begin at the starting point of our belief differences, but we're able to enter into loving the city, uh, sharing life's realities, uh, moving towards ways to flourish in our vocations, that amazing common ground begins to happen that begins to unite hearts together rather than divide. Uh, I saw this years ago uh, last week, uh, Hal Farnsworth, who gave me my charge. Uh, he was the, the bald guy who told Clyde how old he looked. <laughs> you remember him? Uh, that's typical for Hal. Uh, there was a guy who was doing renovations on our church building, Redeemer Prez, uh, in the Athens area. And so he was kind of this contractor, but he was also a handyman could do, who could do everything. Uh, and so I don't remember how he initially got connected, but his name was Jimmy. And Jimmy wore his defiance against God literally as sleeves on his arms. I mean, even before tattoos were really big, Jimmy had obscenities on each tattoo that just signaled to anyone that would have been of faith that I am not with you. And as Hal got to know his story, and others in the church did as well, uh, we discovered that he grew up the son of a Pentecostal pastor, preacher, not, not disparaging towards Pentecostals, uh, but a preacher, Pentecostal dad, who beat him regularly and instilled in him a disconnect with the Jesus that he preached and the Jesus that he poorly demonstrated and lived. Uh, but Hal is, just struck, Hal is a gifted evangelist, and he, so he can connect intellectually with almost anyone. Uh, but he went home one day, and in the area there was forecast uh, storms and tornadoes. Uh, and Hal lived in a really nice house, brick and mortar kind of house. Uh, Jimmy lived in a trailer park. There's a bad storm that night. You know, Hal watched the news reports, didn't really think of anything of it until the next morning when he drove into work and saw Jimmy's truck there. And all of a sudden it hit him. It just hit him. I didn't think about Jimmy once, all night long when he was at risk. So he says, Jimmy, let's go to breakfast. And he says, you sure? I need to get work done. He says, no, let's go to breakfast. And as they engaged in connecting and he began to ask about if he was harmed in any way by the tornado that came through. Hal said this, he says, Jimmy, you know, I've been thinking, I'm worse than you. <laughs> Which Jimmy said, Pastor, you're not, you're, not, you're not worse than me. He said, no, Jimmy, I, I'm worse than you. He said, Preacher, there's no way you're worse than me. I mean, just look at my arms. To which Hal once again said, Jimmy, I'm worse than you because last night I went home into my nice, comfortable, well-protected house and I didn't give one thought about you. And 
tears began to form in Jimmy's eyes. And he had to pause before he could respond. And he says, shoot, or something like that. (laughs) You are worse than me. Which opened a door of connecting around the image of God by someone in the people of God who's seeing he's worse than those outside uh, because of the image of God things that we were created for and made for. You see, the crazy, beautiful reality about Jesus is he got treated worse than you on the cross. So not only his sins fell upon you, but the sins of the whole world. And so if you feel you're just too much of a mess for Jesus, that's actually what qualifies you to be in relationship with him. He welcomes you in and offers his embrace. If you think that you're too clean and not too dirty and you've drawn tight circles about what a culture of those who follow Jesus is like, you're in danger of missing him. Uh, But the good news of this story of the centurion is that we can find common ground when we both see the reality of our own sin, but the beauty and wonder of how we're made as image bearers of God. Who is Jesus for? He's for unlikely image bearers. Second, uh, how do we experience him? In this next scene, picking up in verse 6, halfway through verse 6, we see the picture of the man's unworthiness And Jesus' wonder and power beginning to dawn and break in on the centurion's understanding. Look at halfway through 6b, through verse 6, when it says, When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy. Now, does that stick with you for a minute? What did the Jews say about him? They thought you could merit Jesus' mercy. They said he was worthy. What does this man know about himself? Because he sees the reality about himself. He says, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. But say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this. And he does this. Uh, This man despairs of his worthiness before Jesus. But the beauty and the wonder and the power of Jesus that he's heard about takes his breath away. He's become ravished with the power and the wonder of Jesus and simultaneously despairing of any worthiness of himself. Uh, There's a connection between getting who Jesus is and seeing how untogether you are, but finding it to bring you great joy uh, so that your affections are stirred and wooed towards Jesus. Uh, My historical figure in my dissertation work on Christ-centered preaching was a man named George Whitfield. He appeared on the scene. He was a flawed man in some respects, for sure, as any preacher is. Uh, but in a, ser- in a setting in which largely sermons were delivered by reading a manuscript, he embodied the gospel message in such profound ways that people began to experience the power and beauty of Jesus in ways that stirred their affections towards him. A simple farmer who really was not a religious insider, his name was Nathan Cole uh, from Connecticut, 
got converted under Whitfield's preaching. This was 1740s. And he described what happened to him. He says, my hearing him preach gave me a heart wound. By God's blessing, my old foundation was broken up. And I saw my righteousness would never save me. You see, essentially, a relationship with Jesus is not about our duty or our means, but it's an aesthetic, not an anesthetic, an aesthetic of his beauty and his wonder and the richness of his love uh, moving towards me. Uh, what a relationship with Jesus is essentially about is transferring my life trust from my own doing and maintaining of a relationship with Jesus to simply experiencing the wonder and the power so that I feel secured in his love. That's how we experience him, by being ravished by the power of Jesus in a way that it causes us to joyfully set aside uh, all the ways that we think that our relationship with him is up to us. And then finally, what is Jesus' response? Look at verses 9 and 10. Jeez, uh, the healing is almost an afterthought uh, because Jesus remarks, even before he does the work of healing in this way, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Can you imagine this one who's completely naturally on the outside, but stirred by affections for Jesus. Jesus has to brag all over the place for him because he's discovered the wonder of Jesus' love and power moving towards him. And then look at verse 10. And when those who had returned to the house uh, did so, they found the servant well. The centurion had asked that Jesus say the word. We have no record in this account that Jesus even said the word. Just in the rejoicing over the centurion's faith, uh, the effect of that resulted in the healing uh, of this man. Uh, you know, as I, th I think about my desire to diagnose students and others in Christ's body, I think I maybe have been asking the wrong question all this time. How is your relationship with Jesus? I, I wonder if a better question is, Jesus, how is your relationship with Gary? How, how is your relationship with Dennis? How is your relationship? Maybe he is the one to whom we need to ask that question. I don't know how we do it. I don't know how you get there. I mean, is he going to say something? I hope. But I wonder if it could be, would be a better path to leading us to the wonder of Jesus' beauty and power stirring our affections. You know, there's one in the crowd, one of Jesus' disciples, who after he had failed Jesus big time, denied him three times. Who was his name? Peter. And after Jesus was resurrected, knowing Peter's uh, failure, he sat down and got eye to eye with Peter. And he asks him this. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered the best that he could. Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus once again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter's starting to race in his mind, feeling the Lord's doubt and not knowing what to say. But Jesus 
though it feels like he's pressing hard on his betrayal, he's actually doing so to bring him to a place where his affections are genuinely stirred towards Jesus. And he asks them again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? What if we let Jesus ask us that question? What if in ever the ways that we become aware uh, and engaged with God's truth through his word, would we allow Jesus to ask us the question, do you love me? Perhaps he would stir within us this kind of affection that the centurion shows, and perhaps uh, Jesus would connect the dots, the very places in our lives where we're stressed, where we're hurt, where we're perplexed, and his power might flow if we began to engage with him and let him ask us, Simon, son of John, do you love me? There's a pray place in one of the minor prophets uh, in Zephaniah 317 that talks about the power of God, but then also talks about the beauty of the one who gave himself up for us. It says this, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Do you know that mighty one? Do you know he rejoices over you? Do you know he sees you in your pain and moves towards you? Do you know he sings loudly, uh, boasting of the beauty of you despairing of yourself and having your affections stirred towards him? You know, this centurion sends an echo throughout the gospel accounts to another centurion who shows up later in the gospel storyline. Do you remember him? Do you know where he is? He's standing at the cross at the feet of Jesus, watching this man be treated worse than any other human, marred beyond human recognition, forgiving the sins of those that had sinned against him. And when he died and breathed his last, do you remember what this centurion said? He says this, surely this was an innocent man. Truly, this one was the son of God. We have another centurion who's astonished and his affections are stirred towards Jesus. May we join these centurions as unlikely image bearers to have our affections stirred by the richness and deepness of Jesus' power and love for us. Let's pray. Jesus, would you make yourself known? Uh, by the power of your spirit, would we sense the depth of your love and your power in our lives uh, where we're most desperate for it? Uh, would you please show yourself so that we may be stirred and see and say with the centurion, truly, this was the Son of God. As we come to this table, as we sing, uh, would you stir our affection to Jesus, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.